Darkness. Hearts. Darkness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kingdom Hearts Coast to Coast. I'm Juliet. With me, as always... Garsh, it's me, Madison. Oh, boy! <laughs> it's the only Donald I am ever gonna do on this show. Uh, welcome back, folks. This is Kingdom Hearts Coast to Coast, where we are going through the Kingdom Hearts game series. And we are at a momentous point right here, because today... We are finishing Kingdom Hearts, the original game. We're going all the way through to the end. If you listened to our last episode, you probably heard that we had a plan to kind of stop in the middle of the last dungeon, like right before the last boss fight, and, uh, you know, kind of take stock of things at that point before plunging on into the end. But we discovered in actually going through the game that there is just not really enough to talk about without also including the the final boss here. So uh, we elected to go all, all the way and finish the game. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, we're starting off from where we left off last time, which of course is right after all of the hullabaloo in Hollow Bastion. We took a break. We did some side quests. We finished the 100 Acre Wood. And now we're ready to go back and finish things up with our old buddy Ansem. So, Madison, what what do you think of where we're at right now? Like, how how do you feel going into this? So this is a it, it is it is a pretty momentous occasion. I think that upon reflection, one reason that we thought there would be like enough material for two episodes in this is because we really overestimated the ratio of things happening to hitting things with your keyblade. Yes, I think that is 100% what happened, because uh, shucks howdy, folks, there's a lot of hitting things with your keyblade in this part of the game. This is quite a long section, in fact, but there's not really actually a ton of story happening here until you get to the proper end game. So... Yeah, I, I I see why we thought that was a good idea, but also looking at the facts, like this is really kind of the only way to do it. So, yeah, where where are we at as we start things off here? So we're starting off back in Traverse Town after rescuing Kyrie from Hollow Bastion and um, getting out of there. That whole hullabaloo, the gang all ends up with Kyrie and the Final Fantasy characters back, basically where where we started the adventure in uh, Traverse Town in the hotel. You know, we get a, a little recap from Leon. What are we supposed to do now? Like, we've saved Kyrie, but Riku's still there, and there's still, like, the problem. The game's not over, he, Leon tells us. Um, we gotta go back and take care of, of the final keyhole. So to do that, we have to... Um, there's been like more disruption in gummy space, whatever they call it. We can't just drive the gummy ship back exactly. So we need a new navigational gummy from Sid. That's where we start doing stuff again in Traverse Town here. We got to go find Sid and get his advice on how to get back to Hollow Bastion. Yeah. And Sid tells us that he actually has a navigation gummy that can lead us right back there. It's the gummy that he used to get him and his friends here from Hollow Bastion in the first place. And he has sealed it up in the underground waterway. 
And, you know, I just got to say, this guy was willing to let us go all the way around, like, multiple different worlds, putting ourselves in, like, real danger to get the gummy that he already had. Or to get a gummy that could do the same things that his one already could. And it's like, man, I don't even buy that you're, like, looking out for our safety there's a lot of intriguing things about sid highwind's character as interpreted into this game that we don't really get to we don't really get to see into sid's soul uh in this game or what's going on in there he seems well-intentioned but he's awfully mysterious he does so we have more sewer adventures yay classic traverse town sewer adventures this one's a, a pretty simple one you just go in the secret waterway and um this is, again, extremely mysterious. There's a mural on the wall of the sun. I guess Kyrie's going with you because she's there in the sewer as you're investigating it, and she can give you a hint. There's this mural of the sun, and if you examine it, it um, it is the gummy? Or it contains the gummy? I don't know. There's a flash of light, and now it's the moon, and you have the gummy. Yeah, this is Sid's trick. This is his, you know special secret way of keeping people who shouldn't have the gummy from getting it so i don't know but yeah you have a nice little scene with Kyrie here where you talk about kind of how far you've come since destiny islands and kind of take stock of the whole adventure in the in the rearview mirror at this point yeah it's a nice little in cap sequence it's nice to have a moment with Kyrie after so much of the story mm -hmm. has been about trying to obtain her body yeah <laughs> that, though it is it is of course kind of frustrating that she's like i'm going with you and sora's like nah you'll just get in the way and she's like yeah i guess that's true yeah that sucks that sucks yeah she gives you a new keychain for your keyblade the Oathbreaker. I'm sorry. Uh, oath, it's, oath Keeper. It's oath the keeper. Oath Keeper. That's, that's very different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Oath Keeper. The opposite of an Oathbreaker, actually. <laughs> uh, and it's very pretty. I guess it's pretty powerful. I don't I think you immediately get an even more powerful. one. Yeah, it, it's pretty powerful. But it, yeah, like you said, you immediately get one that is stronger than it. So I don't know. I think it's got like a special thing. Like, I think that it's like good at like chains of criticals or something. So there's a, a reason you might want to use it beyond just it's a pretty strong keyblade. But yeah, you get a better one almost almost instantly. So, yeah. Oh, well. There's also a scene here that uh, is added for the final mix version that is kind of strange. Yeah, the Riku scene, uh, right? The Riku scene. And you know it's added for final mix because there's no voice acting in it, which none of the final mix specific scenes have voice acting but it is riku in this like kind of land of darkness struggling and he's told by a disembodied voice basically to go to the place that we're going to end up at the very very end of the game coming up and it kind of it's a strange scene because it, it explains the mechanics of what's going to happen in the ending in a way that's, like, not necessary, I don't feel like this adds anything to what we see at the end of the game. It did make me think something, because the formatting of this disembodied voice is 
very similar or the same to the tutorial voice. It is, yeah. In the very beginning of the game. And we, like, we kind of spent some time speculating as to, like, whose voice that is. Right. It's very clear in this sequence that that voice is King Mickey. Yeah, I thought that was strange because it is extremely clear on that. And that actually is a point of clarification that the original game never really makes, like the non-Final Mix version. It's also unclear whether it intended that to be true, that it was King Mickey. Well, it's strange here because, like, the voice is not... If this is King Mickey, his internal monologue, I think, sounds very different from his speaking voice because there's none of, like, the vocal tics or anything that you would get from, like, somebody writing down what Mickey Mouse is saying. Yeah, it's not even, like, clear where you would insert the, like, hoo-hoos. Yeah, no. So it's it's strange because, yeah, based on the context of what it says, this voice is definitely King Mickey's, but it super does not sound like Mickey speaking. So, strange bit, yeah. But it's here, and it's it's worth talking about because clearly, at this point, one of the things they were kind of doing with the final mix version of this was adding a little bit more to Riku's side of the story. I think that partially because as the series goes on, he does become a bit more of like a a dual protagonist in some ways. So I, I think they wanted to kind of set up him having like a little more agency here, even though in the context of this game, he really like at this point does not have any. Yeah, so. I get what they like. I see it makes sense what they were trying to do. I think they could have pulled it off a little better or like yeah. it was fine as a mystery, like how Riku was navigating the spiritual world and stuff. Well, and it's like it's not even really that much of a mystery because I feel like it like doesn't beg an explanation like it's just kind of like it's it's easy enough to just kind of accept because i guess when we get to the ending i will explain what i originally assumed was happening in that Uh uh-huh and with riku's presence in that sequence but you know i feel like it makes enough sense on its own to not need this but it's here so whatever it certainly is here so you um you get the Navi Gummy, you say goodbye to Kyrie, and you can head off for Hollow Bastion again. Yeah. It's like a new warp point that's like right next to Hollow Bastion because like you can't go in through the front door anymore or something. Uh yeah, it's like the original route is is sealed off and like full of heart ghosts now or something. So yeah. yeah, instead you're going around like the back way, basically, and you go through it's not, you know, a super long or difficult course, and it kind of ends up sort of rejoining the original route at a certain point right before uh it gets to hollow bastion and yeah you you get back to hollow bastion and (laughs) this is a thing that i cannot believe this game thought was a good idea (laughs) you get back to hollow bastion and you find that all of the like warp points that were available to kind of fast travel to different parts of Hollow Bastion previously, those have have gone away again. (laughs) So you start at the original base entrance of the Hollow Bastion area. And because you were trying to get back to the keyhole, which is at in in the, the castle chapel at the top of Hollow Bastion, you now have to travel back all the way through Hollow Bastion again on foot to get there. Yeah, like, I know I said that Hollow Bastion looks really cool, 
but I didn't think that they would have us just traverse the whole thing again. And there's no real differences. Like, the only thing that's different is this doesn't take as long because you don't have to do, like, the puzzle with, like, the door. And you don't have to do the thing with, like, rearranging the, the parts of the giant crest. You don't have to do that whole thing. You can just sort of walk through. So it doesn't take as long, but it's still not a short sequence. And you do still have to futz around with the elevators again. And you have mm -hmm. to fight the same heartless mobs going back through it. And, it's and like, by the way, we've been fighting those same heartless mobs in every other world. Yes, I'm tired of them now. They were cool at first, but I'm pretty tired of them now. There are a few things in this part of the game that do feel like they are sort of trying to, like, stretch the game out a little bit more. But it's like, without this stuff, this game would probably take about, you know, 17 or 18 hours to play through. That's still pretty long for an action game. Like, it's not long for an RPG, which is what Square was used to making at this point. But this also is not really quite that kind of game. Oh, man, I can't believe they... This kind of makes me get really, like, burnt out on a really cool area of this game. And it's frustrating. Yeah, it's a real shame. Uh, but anyway, you, you get back to Holobash and Beast is there still. Yep. Uh, and he says that Belle is still in the castle. She's trying to do something. So he comes with you to go into the castle and you, whatever, you go through the whole castle and you meet up with the princesses of heart mm -hmm. who are all inside the castle. First, you meet up with Belle in the library and she gives you um, a new keychain, yep. which we mentioned earlier is just a little bit better than the Oath Keeper in most ways. Mm. Uh, and it's very pretty. It's like a rose themed yeah, one. Yeah, it's really cool. That's the one I use for like the rest of the game, basically. So, yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Um, and you, you get to chat a little bit with the other princesses of heart who say that they're doing something to stave off the darkness mm -hmm. from where this big keyhole has connected their world with something or the hollow bastion. It's not their world. Yeah. <laughs> it's, their wor <laughs> it's their world for right now. So yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, they're doing everything they can to keep the darkness from spreading out of the keyhole. And they are glad you're back so that you can take care of it. Yeah, so Jasmine and Alice and uh, also Cinderella and Snow White and a few other. Mm -hmm. Belle, I guess a couple other princesses, too. They're all here. I don't think any of them get voice acting in this part. No, they don't. Um, Aurora does mention that Maleficent was from her world, so at least they did mention that. <laughs> That's something. But yeah, uh, otherwise, none of them really have much in the way of, like, personality or a lot of you know they, they basically all just have like one line you can go back through a few of the areas that you were in previously and get some new items including another keyblade that i did not use but it was kind of just a little bit less powerful than the oath keeper yeah i don't know if that was possible to find back the first time in hollow bastion well i don't think it was because it's in the chapel like it's okay. in the room that is only there for you to have a boss fight in but it's there also some puppies there are some puppies to get here which is right. very funny <laughs> again and yeah and then you go into the keyhole you actually go into this sort of void that is basically where ansem was hanging out during the earlier scenes with him and you find a behemoth inside it there's like kind of a glowing vortex room inside it and the behemoth which is like a classic final fantasy enemy that's been kind of redesigned here to be kind of cuter and more heartlessy looking is in there he's a little bit 
like the Maleficent dragon fight, I guess. Yeah, it's a little less challenging than that, I thought, because uh, he doesn't have such so many AoE attacks. Yeah. Uh, you can mostly just like get up on his back and wail on him. Yeah, he's he got to hit his horn and, you know, he's got a few health bars, but he goes down pretty fast. Then you seal the keyhole and come back out to have one final scene with the Final Fantasy characters. Yeah, it's a nice little melancholy scene. They inform you or remind you, maybe, that once um, Ansem is defeated, all of the worlds will go back into their own discrete places and won't really be connected anymore. Yeah, and also importantly that all of the worlds that were destroyed will come back. They'll be, like, freed from the darkness. Yes. Uh, including Destiny Island. Including Destiny Islands, and everyone will find themselves back in their, their own world. Though I guess these folks are already back in their world, so they won't have to really go anywhere. But, yeah, we get some more uh, not-so-great David Boreanaz voice acting, <laughs> where he's his very flatly says that no matter where we go, our hearts will, will be connected to each other. <laughs> you know, it's a nice sentiment, and he's not worse here than he was earlier in the game but it's just been many hours since i've actually heard his voice as squall he certainly pronounces the words he does do that the lines yep and yeah there's a little more sort of you know bickering between sora and yuffie and it's cute it's fun and yeah it's it's a nice scene and it's pretty it's kind of sweet that like sora is genuinely like upset at the idea that he won't get to see these people again. So, yeah, I mean, definitely the notion that the worlds are all going to come back is a little bit, definitely kind of softens the kind of, like, slightly, like, apocalyptic tone that this game kind of has for the most part. Yeah, it definitely is a relief. Like, I don't... I don't think there was much indication before now, actually, that such a thing was possible. No, this is the first time that has been brought up. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's kind of replaced by like a slightly different kind of sadness of the idea that even though everyone will be fine, they won't get to see each other again. There's one more thing that happens here, uh, and that is that if you talk to Aerith again back in the, the castle library after this is over, she'll say that she has found the rest of Ansem's report, and she hands it to you. Yeah, so this is kind of a good time to take a step back and talk about this um, uh, environmental storytelling sort of thing that the game's been doing mm -hmm. this whole time, that you can find these Ansem reports, even mm -hmm. like long before you knew that Ansem was the identity of the villain of this game. Yeah, right. Like, um, it kind of gets set up in the original Traverse Town sequence where... Aerith mentions that their leader back in the place where they all came from was this wise man named Ansem, and that he was compiling a report on the darkness that has been sort of scattered to the winds. Even on the lookout for these, and you get the report is divided up into I think it's I think it's ten different sections, and you get you, you get these kind of throughout the game at, at various points, and they each fill in like kind of a little bit more of the story of what Ansem was up to originally and sort of where he ended up with all this. But these reports, the last ones that you get here, they are not like the last three reports. They are like reports three, six, and 10. So they kind of, in addition to providing like the actual like final report, they also fill in a couple of gaps. 
And those gaps uh, are important because with those filled in, the report becomes much more sort of incriminating of Ansem right from the start. Yeah, kind of conveniently, these last ones that you find are the ones that actually specify Ansem's active role in the narrative that has been unfolding through these reports, which there are reports about, like, the nature of darkness and the heartless. Yeah. And, like, how Ansem's world, ha- how it was affected by the coming of the heartless and so on. Yeah, and basically what they, they kind of unfold a, a story of Ansem being the ruler of the place we now know as Hollow Bastion, being troubled by the idea of darkness and the idea of darkness in people's hearts being just like kind of an ever-present thing. And he kind of starts conducting a series of experiments to sort of uh, understand darkness better. These involve effectively torturing and experimenting on his subjects secretly you know, the people under his rule and protection. And once they've been sort of thoroughly ruined by this process, locking them in the basement areas of the castle, it's very dark stuff. So he does these experiments. He locks up his broken, tortured subjects. And then they transform into effectively like the first heartless he ever sees within that he discovers that like the heartless are drawn to a i guess they're drawn to a door that he finds in the base of his castle it sounds like pretty much uh, the same kind of door as the one that sora found back on destiny island at the beginning of the game He opened it, and that caused his world to be connected to every other world. And from there, he's kind of off and running on his dark path. Yeah, I believe it specifies how he cast aside his body Mm -hmm. and uh, and entered the darkness and so on. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty bad stuff. He also meets King Mickey, he says in these reports. He, He seems extremely unfazed by this, like king he meets being like a talking mouse man you know he doesn't mention that in fact he just mentions that basically after he connected his world to the other worlds there was a reign of what we know as players as gummy blocks and that's a kind of an interesting idea that like that is sort of like the presence of gummy blocks or like the harbinger of basically some very bad things coming for your world <laughs> because you're you know hooked up now and you can be a target for the Heartless. And then, yeah, King Mickey shows up in a gummy ship and kind of spends, like, a while with Ansem, just sort of, like, swapping stories and explaining things to him. Uh, inadvertently, it does sound like King Mickey is is kind of responsible for really lighting the fire under Ansem to really <laughs> get into this thing and do some real nasty stuff. It's not his fault, I don't think, but... Definitely maybe vet people better when you're you're going to share the secrets of the universe with them. Yeah, that's the uh, the danger of being so open and trusting. Yeah. Interesting thing that like Mickey does not seem at all upset about the idea, at least from this telling of things. Mickey does not seem at all upset with the idea of like crossing like world borders and like telling people in different worlds what's going on. 
oh, hey, yeah, do you think this is where, like, their prime directive comes from? It actually could be. That's a good point. This could be the reason why they're so staunch about that now. So, yeah, Ansem, his eyes open to the splendor of the world, wants to find the true darkness at the heart of everything. So he casts aside his body and goes out to search for it. And that's pretty much where we meet him at the beginning of the game. That's the state that we meet him in yep. uh, as this this shroud. So, yeah. Now, I think that Final Mix has added a few more Ansem reports that you can get by fighting the optional bosses. Yes, uh, it has done that. Do you know what, like, the contents of those are? I think they... I know at least the last one sets up, like, what a nobody is, which is Mm -hmm. a big part of the next game. I think they mostly just... um, Obviously, I haven't gotten them in the game yet because I haven't played those parts. Um, But they're, like, setting up explaining some more stuff that happens and setting up for stuff that will happen later. Got it. So it's kind of connecting Kingdom Hearts to the expanded cosmology that we'll encounter going down the line from here. So that totally makes sense. That That is, uh, I, I think, another big part of the revisions made in Final Mix is to kind of connect this game and Kingdom Hearts 2 a little bit better. Yeah, and that that seems pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a solid thing to be doing with with a kind of slightly re-engineered version of the game like this. So armed with this knowledge of um, the nature of our great enemy, Ansem, uh, we're going to continue on. Is it through the keyhole? It's like kind of fuzzy how actually you move to the next world. Well, no, it is actually another gummy ship sequence. Um, Okay, okay. I just forgot that. So essentially, the princesses of heart do tell you that Ansem has left like he has like retrieved something from the keyhole and he has kind of gone far away with it. So your job now is to follow him and finish the job. So mm-hmm. effectively, there's one more gummy ship sequence, and it leads you to the final area of the game, which is just called the end of the world. Pretty interesting. It's like not quite grammatical with the rest of the game, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's kind of reminiscent of like, other Squaresoft games. Yeah. Specifically, uh, Chrono Trigger has a world or has a location called the End of Time. Yes. That I feel like has very similar vibes to the end of the world here. Well, definitely. And I, I also think that it bears a lot of resemblance to the final area of uh, Final Fantasy X, which was the game that effectively the big Squaresoft RPG that had come out just before this one, uh, mm-hmm. where the, the final part of that game sees you kind of venturing into this like weird metaphorical space and confronting this entity that is sort of at the heart of all of the problems in that game. So this feels a little bit like that. I think that comparing it to the end of time is is also like a good shout as well, for sure, because there is also that kind of sense of like things just kind of hanging in space here and uh, kind of almost of like a like a beach where a bunch of stuff has washed up, you know? Yeah, so as we explore this area, we see, like, a bunch of fragments of other worlds mm-hmm. that it, that have kind of, like, ended up here and, like, heartless from various places. 
So when you get there, it's like it's quite a, a stunning sight. This big purple expanse. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's really funny. You get there. There's a little cutscene of your character's reaction, and Goofy says "Garsh" when he sees it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> to me, it feels like like you're texting your friend like something really sad and vulnerable, and they respond by typing "F." Yeah. Right. Like, oh, so sad for you. <laughs> like, Goofy, I know that's just what you say, but, like, Garsh doesn't really cut it nah. here. There is also a little bit of discussion of, like, the fact that this world, this thing that they're standing on is is sort of, like, made up of the remnants of all of these worlds the Heartless have destroyed. And how if they win and everything goes back, this place that they are in is just not going to be there anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's like kind of like, what's going to happen to us? Goofy's confident, though. He's confident that their hearts will find each other and it'll be fine. Yeah, you go through this area. This first part of the end of the world is kind of divided up into a few sections. The first part is, is the characters walking across this kind of... It's like water. It's like a, you know, rippling like sea that is purple and has stars in it. And there's this kind of sickly lilac colored light in the distance that you're walking towards. And this is kind of an interesting part of the game because this part has, you know, after a whole game of there just being kind of, you know, heartless everywhere like whenever you're in a level where there are heartless they're just sort of endlessly spawning in this bit of the game actually does try to do something that feels a little bit more like traditional rpg random encounters yeah almost like it's like kind of like a commentary on that it feels like quite self-aware that you mm -hmm. are you're just walking around and like there's a big flash and you're in a new a different place and it's a fragment of a world usually yeah places you've been to typically which I'm, I'm not really sure how we're supposed to interpret that like is this your heart reacting to with its memories or mm -hmm. have these places been destroyed right yeah but you you can end up in like a clearing from the deep jungle and so on well so it's there's a couple of different parts to this here because the the first part where you're walking through the kind of ocean area these sort of like big purple balls will like descend on you or sometimes you'll find a treasure chest and open it and it'll explode and you'll be in a random encounter yeah um yeah once you get through that there's an area that almost is like it almost feels like you're back in atlantica like it's this big sort of like ocean trench that is dry and is full of like gummy blocks basically that you kind of like descend down and down and down into and there's not really much in the way of enemies in this part. There's a few places where you can find some. But for the most part, this is just like an exploration area. And then you do get to this thing where you kind of move between these different small rooms via like teleporters. And each one has a pillar of light in the middle of it. And when you go into that, there's an encounter, like a battle that takes place in one of the previous worlds that you've been in, in like a place that okay. looks like one of the previous worlds. And it goes through all of them. And some of them, the enemies you fight there are the heartless from that world. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're the new heartless that are specific to this final area, which are like the hardest, the hardest enemies in the game. Yeah. There's a couple of them, actually. There's 
basically like a dark one and a light one. There are these sort of buff looking demon heartless that have swords and that have um, the ability to kind of like throw the sword into the ground and then turn into a like miasma that hovers around one of your characters until it like mm-hmm. hurts them. And there's also these like extremely strange looking ones that are sort of these like they're like these big sort of oblong lanterns with wings. Yeah, these are both kind of difficult enemies to fight, especially when the game like kind of mixes them up a little bit and like gives you Mm -hmm. like a mixed group of them. But it's cool here because you get to see all the previous. Basically, you fight every different kind of Heartless in the game and you go through these areas that are like little snapshots of the places you've been. And yeah, I guess my my take on this is probably that this is supposed to be like your heart reacting to, I don't know, it's like your memories are calling these places up mm-hmm. and, you know, putting you back there. And, you know, you're kind of, the game is sort of like making you take stock of everywhere you've been as you head on to the, the very end of the game. And also, uh, one thing that is, I, I think, genuinely very cool is that the last one of these that you go to has no enemies in it. And it is just that clearing from the Hundred Acre Wood where yeah. you met Winnie the Pooh and it has a safe point in it. It's the only like truly safe place in this entire <laughs> end part of the game. And uh, I think that's really neat. Yeah, I like that. I'm glad I was nervous that they were finally going to bring enemies to the Hundred Acre Wood. Nope. But not so. Ain't no fighting in the Hundred Acre Wood. Just hitting. <laughs> Yeah, so you eventually make it out of the this like final exam area yeah. where you're going through all the all these other worlds and you get to um the evil grounds. Yeah, I guess that's I a think. good way to describe it. You get to kind of heartless central basically. Yeah. And you can fly here, mm-hmm. which is just just another contrivance that for this huge boss it's time for a huge boss so it's time to fly that's right yeah um and this is this is really cool because you um are actually fighting the monster chernabog which is uh was featured in the disney movie fantasia Mm -hmm. and i think this is a really good choice for this area because fantasia is kind of like an anthology movie with a bunch of different shorts Mm -hmm. and um i feel like there's like a thematic resonance with this world that's kind of a clip show world mm-hmm. that the chernabog would be the boss here the chernabog fight itself i think is like not especially stimulating no it's actually a pretty easy fight the chernabog's got like a couple of major attacks you know he can uh beat his wings to to like throw you far away from him he has you know a fire attack that he can bring up like around himself and a couple of different sort of like projectiles that aim at you but yeah, the Chernabog himself is not that hard, but I, I think that, or or that interesting to fight, but uh, I do think that, yeah, you're right, like, this this is sort of, like, the, the darkest, most hopeless feeling part of this game, and that is absolutely the feeling that I think the Night on Bald Mountain sequence from Fantasia, where the Chernabog appears, is also supposed to impart. So this is, like, there's no, like, plot reason for the Chernabog to be here, but it makes perfect sense for him to be here. Yeah, yeah, thematically. Do you think that everyone our age knows that that thing is called the Chernabog solely because of this game? Almost certainly. You, there's Because in Fantasia, it's a completely, it's a ballet. 
Yeah. So there's no speaking. There's no text or anything. So I don't know how the makers of this game knew that was the Chernabog. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess they had to call they, they had to call it something when they were animating it, right? So, yeah. you know, presumably that's always what it's been called. But yeah, I just always thought of it as like the big demon from the end of Fantasia. But I'm pretty sure I just thought it was the devil. I mean, yeah, it, it might as well be, right? Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Sora uses Ave Maria and... Uh, vanquishes the Jurabog, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yes, some something like yeah. that. No, it's it's really it's very funny. In Fantasia, the Chernabog is like defeated by like the coming of the dawn and this like beautiful kind of religious choir, these little people with lanterns singing this hymn. Uh and it's like here it's just like, oh yeah, I hit it a bunch with a key and it it, it died. So, you know. That's cool. They just didn't realize in Fantasia that actually it also works to just beat it up. Yeah. But uh, that's how it goes sometimes. That's how it goes sometimes. You know, it's like, it's always worth exploring your options, folks. So you defeat the Chernabog and continue on into kind of the evil area here. And there's really kind of only one more combat encounter before we get into the final boss fight. And this is a pretty grueling challenge. Basically, you walk through a few more areas where there's no enemies or anything. There's not really anything to do here, in fact, aside from maybe just reshuffle your inventory if you need to. And then you end up in a room. It's a kind of a long, oblong room with a heartless crest at the end of it. You start off here with another behemoth fight. Pretty much exactly like the one from earlier. It's not that hard. And then... Wave after wave of Heartless, the strong Heartless, the ones that we talked about before that are like unique to this area, start pouring in. And as you defeat more and more of them, more of the crest at the end of the room sort of melts away. And you got to kill all of them. You got to just keep fighting through them until that crest completely disappears. And I can't lie, this part is rough. Like, this is a really grueling endurance test like i think this encounter is like about uh probably like 10 minutes long right it's a real slug i'm sure that in there's one video game out there in the world with a good swarm boss fight I, i'm sure there is i wouldn't know yeah because i've never played one that's good and fun <laughs> i feel like game developers really want to put in a big swarm fight to show off the processing power of the game system mm -hmm. and maybe that's like really cool the first time you play the game to see a bunch of enemies on the screen in this one it's not even like they they don't all spawn at once so no. maybe that's not the case in this one but i i don't really know the reasoning that goes into deciding to do this i guess maybe like hey remember fighting a bunch of little guys now you can do that a bunch because you're really strong now yeah right i think it is kind of supposed to be that and i think it's also just like something very different from fighting like one big enemy mm -hmm. and like i i also kind of feel like games from this time period like early 2000s kind of had uh, like a problem with doing this i can think of a lot of games from this era that all decided that some version of this fight was a good idea the very first God of War game, in fact, 
has a thing almost exactly like this that happens during the final boss fight of that game. And it is just miserable Mm -hmm. because it's like a section of the boss fight. So if you die, you have to redo the boss fight. And uh, it sucks. This one's not that bad because thankfully it is its own discrete encounter. But yikes, I don't like it. And I did not like having to redo it several times when I died during like the last wave of enemies. No, it's not cool. And this battle system, like there's some games that have a battle system that's way more suited to fighting swarms. But this one, there's almost no good AoE attacks you can do. No. Like, there's some parts of your combo that cause a burst, and there's, like, Thundaga or whatever. Yeah. But the thunder attack's not very strong. It doesn't do a lot of damage, and you can't really, like, destroy it, do a bunch of damage to an area on purpose. It just kind of happens. There's some games where, like, yeah, it's really geared toward fighting big groups of enemies. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Bioshock Infinite, the final boss in that one is a, a big, <laughs> a big fight. That is actually kind of one of these, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Now, that one is, is actually, there isn't a final boss fight in addition to that, really. That's the final challenge. No, that that is the final boss fight. That one, you know, that game has a lot of problems, but I actually did think that encounter was sort of fun because it does give you access to a cool AOE thing that you only get for that one fight. Yeah, and I think this could have used something like that, some sort of thing. Yeah. Thing in the environment you can trigger to do damage. Right, yeah. Uh, but but it's it's over eventually, and then you can move on to um, the final confrontation with Ansem. That's right. You get one more save point. It is called, conveniently, Final Rest. And there's a door here that looks exactly like the ones that you saw during the tutorial. When you go through it, you hear that disembodied voice again, which I I guess we are now supposed to just assume is always King Mickey, right? I suppose so, yeah. Telling you that this is it, like this is going to be the last thing, so make sure you're ready for it. And assuming you are, you go through the door and find yourself... Where else but back on Destiny Island? It's actually a pretty effectively unnerving bit because there's some stuff wrong with it here. And the kind of haunting choral music that has been accompanying you through this final area of the game is still going here. You find Riku Ansem on the beach, a kind of messed up, blistered beach. And man, these are some more cutscenes that are just burned into my memory <laughs> from having redone these fights a lot. Yeah. I really like this confrontation between Ansem and Sora. I love it. No, this is great. This is honestly, I never minded watching these because I think these are great scenes here. Yeah, obviously, I, I love the location. Like, I don't know, like it's Sephi or something, but you know, it ends where it begins. I love it. Yeah. You gotta have that. Uh, and the actual dialogue between um, Ansem and Sora once Ansem reveals himself to be Ansem and not at all Riku in any sense um, is is really amusing to me because Ansem, like, I feel like the writing is really good in this of characterizing him as like an academic who's like really well researched and like this is his area of expertise. And Sora is just some guy. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that Ansem, gosh, he hates it so much that, like, Ansem's, like, reciting his research finding 
and Sora's just saying like some platitudes. Yeah, because that's pretty much what this is here. It's like Sora's got nothing but platitudes about the power of light and hearts and the ability of people to like connect with each other. And yeah, and Ansem is like, well, you just you don't know anything about what's going on here. Like, just stop talking. <laughs> just oh god. <laughs> So, so that's great. Eventually you make Ansem angry enough that he like starts tearing up the whole place. Yeah, everything gets all weird looking, uh, weirder looking, actually. It's quite good and scary, like a big orb of darkness tears out of the ground. Yeah, there's like these this weird sort of purple protrusion that doesn't, it kind of looks like a plant, but it's it's not. It's just some weird kind of shapes in the sky that sprout out of the island parts of the island disappear and yeah you go into the first phases of this final fight with ansem yeah there are a lot of parts to this actually like yeah it's a real jrpg final boss it sure is first you fight ansem on the beach with this big beefy heartless that is his like kind of i guess it's he calls it his guardian you fight him with the help of donald and goofy then after that is done, he kind of retreats into this inner area of the fake Destiny Islands. It's kind of weird, big enclosed crater. And Donald and Goofy can't follow Sora in here. So Sora, he fights again the like big, big Heartless that you fought in the tutorial. The Dark Side Heartless uh, from the, yeah. the very beginning of the game. And... It's pretty much the same as it was. It's not really harder, which I guess is kind of a fun benchmark. So you beat that one and then Ansem reemerges and you fight him again with some new moves. He's this is kind of the same fight as the one you did earlier with Donald and Goofy, but it's Sora alone now and he's got some new moves. He can dash around the arena and he has a, a cool like lightning attack he can do. I remember having a lot of trouble with this one when I was younger, and this time I managed to kind of suss out the pattern pretty quickly, so it, it wasn't too terribly difficult, but I actually think this is a pretty fun fight, this one. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good, and, uh, the, you know, there's it's got a pretty good um, stage to do it on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice and clear, the camera doesn't get in the way, and it's just, yeah, yeah it's it's good, and it's fun because this is... It's not clear at this point, but this is kind of the last time that you'll be using, like, regular Kingdom Hearts combat in this game, for the most part. Right, because so, the, uh, the real final phase is, is another flying boss. Yeah, and then you beat Ansem like this, and then everyone finds himself just floating in this dark void, where what is revealed here but the final door to the heart of all worlds kingdom hearts and ansem goes on some more about darkness and how there's nothing but darkness here no light all darkness 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 and <laughs> then ansem reveals his final form and <laughs> it's the flesh ship surely we were all expecting this yep this is the only logical progression of um, this character and his design to be a big fleshy battleship called the World of Chaos. That's right. It's got a face on the front. It's got a big 
monster guy that like kind of looks like a mecha or something coming out of the top and then a very large ansem like a, <laughs> an ansem that is like like you know double scale kind of linked into it wearing what looks like some really tight leather pants and no shirt just kind of emerging out of the front of it it's certainly frightening yes yes it is uh, it definitely, I'm getting more Final Fantasy X final boss vibes from this one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I've always tried to kind of, I've always wondered like what this is supposed to be. Like, is this, are we supposed to understand that this is like actually what Ansem's physical form has become at this point and the rest of what we've seen are just like projections or, or is it like, the access to the like pure darkness that's like allowed him to turn into this. Like, I don't know what this is supposed to be other than just deeply I upsetting. I think, I think this, what, what I would interpret this as is that, uh, Ansem, this Ansem has like some abilities to control the darkness. And where we are right now mm -hmm. is like the, like we're in like, a concentrated area of darkness. Yeah. So Ansem is like stretching his ability to power himself up. And he like, he's trying to give himself as large and fearsome of a body as possible. Mm -hmm. And because he's like stretching his abilities and imagination to do it, it's a monstrosity. Yeah. Okay. I can definitely get behind that. It sure is a monstrosity. Tell you what. So this thing emerges and you fall. Donald and Goofy fall into like a vortex. Sora starts to fall and then he hears Riku's voice chiding him and telling him not to give up. And suddenly Sora can fly again. He's got the pixie dust around him. Then you proceed with the fight against the world of darkness. Yeah, this is a long, difficult fight with multiple parts. You fight every part of this dude. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a case where it's just got one weak point. No, 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 no. This has got you gotta you gotta fight every part of this thing. Starting with Ansem himself projecting out of the top of this. He's got a big spear and it can do a lot of damage. It has a really long range of attack. So you fight him, you dodge these kind of like spears of light that emerge from behind him. I have to say, this is a very frustrating fight because at a certain point in the fight, the spears of light do not stop. You just have to dodge them endlessly while trying to do damage to Ansem. There's definitely like a difficulty spike here because this is asking way more of you as a player than any of the other fights have done, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's also asking you to to maneuver yourself in the air in ways that no other part of the game that's involved flying has done. Yeah. Like, I actually found there were parts of this where it was easier to hit him if I just, like, landed on the shoulders of the big guy behind him and just whacked him <laughs> with the key blade. <laughs> Rather than staying in the air. Yeah, which isn't great. I still didn't win the fight that way, but I did do some more damage <laughs> to him. Uh -huh. So once you defeat that, a big sort of heartless crest forms over Ansem and he kind of Dracula's up. He kind of, like, puts his his arms over his chest, like, crosses them and, like, folds back into the ship. 
And then you kind of proceed through a series of fights with different parts of this thing going into various vortexes. You find within these uh, Donald and Goofy rescue them. They Mm -hmm. come back out and fight with you. There's these little nodules you have to fight all over the thing. You fight the big face on the front of the ship. Eventually, you go into the flesh cage, (laughs) which is pretty great, uh, pretty awful (laughs) and upsetting to fight a big purple pustule with a face on it that I guess is like this thing's heart. I don't know. Uh, Not not like in a Kingdom Hearts sense, but in like the kind of like, you know, maybe this is what's like powering it or something. Yeah, the core. Yeah, the core. And it kind of uh, loops back around to another fight with Ansem himself as he reemerges from the ship. And it is more or less the same fight as before, but you have Donald and Goofy with you now. And, you know, eventually, fingers crossed, you beat him. Ideally, you beat him. Ideally, you beat him. Uh, And this is, after a, a long, hard road, this is the final enemy of Kingdom Hearts, and now all that's left is the ending. Yeah, it's a, it's quite cathartic after such a long haul, <laughs> which um, which is a is a good effect of these very difficult last parts, or at least very long last parts. Uh-huh. You really feel like you did something. <laughs> Absolutely. After you defeat these uh this boss, but it seems like it's not quite over because the door is still open. And Ansem really seems convinced that you are not going to be able to close it. Yeah. He says that before he's destroyed. Yeah, he's he's proven wrong here very dramatically because he's... Yeah, his idea about there being no light down here is definitely false. It's definitely wrong. The door cracks open and light comes pouring out of it. It destroys Ansem. And then it is left to Sora, Donald, and Goofy to try to close this enormous door because looking inside yes there is absolutely a big honking light inside there but there's also a lot there's also like one million there's also one million heartless there's like a bunch of the big dark side heartless and these weird kind of mushroomy looking things made of darkness that appear to be like spawning more of them all clustered around the kingdom hearts itself So, yeah, they're pushing on the door. They're not really making it. And then Riku appears. He's on the other side of the door. He's on the other side of the door, and he is helping Sora to pull it closed. Now, you would be forgiven for thinking that he, like, his true self emerged from the destruction of Ansem having taken over his body. That is what I always assumed was happening here. But apparently, based on that earlier scene, he was over there the whole time. Right, like his physical body had been like destroyed essentially by Ansem taking it over and his his like essence, like his his whole being was in this dark place and was traveling back to be on the other side of the door when this happened so he could help close it. So he's right where he's supposed to be to help you close the door. It's still not quite enough, but you see a shadow emerge. From the center of the mushrooms, which I guess is what Kingdom Hearts is. Yep. Which is cool. Um, it's King Mickey. You found him. Yeah. He appears. It's actually a pretty great moment because it's like you don't see him at first. You see Donald and Goofy and Goofy knows his first and a big smile spreads across his, his face. 
And then Donald sees and he smiles and then it, you know, cuts back. And yeah, Mickey Mouse is there. And like, it's kind of interesting because Mickey will get like more Kingdom Heartsy costumes later on in the series. But here he's just Mickey Mouse. He's like red shorts Mickey Mouse, kind of like very dramatically silhouetted against the light. And he's so strong with his golden keyblade that he has that he is like taken out these dark side heartlesses, which are boss monsters with one hit each. Yeah, this is the big heroic moment for Mickey Mouse that kind of the entire game has like been building towards in some ways. It's ridiculous, but it's also still extremely cool. At this point, strung out after all those boss battles, like seeing after seeing Riku again and he's alive and like you're so emotional you're like oh my god King Mickey Mouse is here to save us yes I think this is the moment that you discover whether you are with Kingdom Hearts or not (laughs) like I think that if you if you can like you know come to this moment in the game and take it like in the spirit in which it's intended and just completely buy into the emotions of it This series has got you forever, basically. (laughs) Yeah. That's how you know. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it, you know, what what can I say? It it still worked for me. So, yep. Mickey tells you to finish closing the door. And he says that there will always be a door to the light. And you do it. Close the door. Riku tells Sora to take care of, of Kyrie. Look after her. And then from either side of the door, Mickey and Sora activate their keyblades and seal the door again. And that did it. Yeah, um, we enter into the the final sequence mm-hmm. of the game, the final cutscene where we see the worlds being restored. Kyrie appears on the the fragment of Destiny Island as it's being restored, and um, Sora is just able to return to her the Oath Keeper but doesn't return with her to Destiny Island. He says he still needs to look for Riku. And she says that she'll wait for you. It does, it starts playing, you know, the really beautiful theme song, Simple and Clean, or Hikaru, depending on what version you're playing. Uh, and it's a, it's a really beautiful sequence. Yeah, it's actually, I love this image where, like, Destiny Island's kind of reforms around her. And then all of these, like, points of light, like shooting stars kind of explode out of the water and fill the sky again that is your visual of like all the worlds coming back and you know they all kind of take their places in the sky again it's a really great visual and i i love it 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 you know really really is is sort of like this beautiful kind of artful way of showing everything kind of coming back as it's supposed to be as the song continues playing we get a kind of soft fade to Kyrie walking into the cave again where the secret door is on Destiny Island and seeing the kind of chalk drawings of herself and Sora that are there and she kind of has like a flash of Sora carving I guess it's the oath keeper right I think it's the palpu fruit Oh it's the palpu that's the palpu fruit that of course which is happens to be the same shape as the oath keeper Yeah right Right, yes, of course. And she carves kind of corresponding Palpu fruit under the picture of him. 
that's that's kind of the image we leave the game on. The credits that we see after this, we see basically everyone getting back to normal. You know, we see Pinocchio turning into a real boy for some reason. <laughs> we see all the princesses kind of taking a final bow as they're restored to their worlds. Jasmine and Aladdin together, the Belle and the Beast together. Also, Cloud and Aerith together. Yeah. Yeah, and... uh <laughs> That's kind of almost the end here. We do get a post credit scene, and possibly two, depending on how well you did at being a completionist in this game. But the kind of proper final scene of the game features Sora, Donald, and Goofy kind of walking down a road in the middle of this big grassy field and kind of being like, well, what do we do now? I guess we're kind of back to square one. We still got to find the king, we still got to find Riku, and. Then Pluto emerges onto the road, and just like at the beginning of the game, he's got another letter in his mouth that has King Mickey's seal on it. And we kind of close the game on all three of them chasing Pluto down the road to to try to get the, the letter back. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice, cute little final scene. The adventure continues. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, our silly boys, <laughs> off to the next adventure. <laughs> Do we want to briefly talk about the secret endings? Yeah, so neither of us got this organically, but we did watch In it. fairness, in fairness, I did get this when I originally played the game. But I'm not a teenager anymore, and I don't <laughs> have the additional 10 hours to spend grinding out all of the additional requirements to unlock this thing. Yes, it's a big leap from... You basically have to 100% this game to get the secret ending. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty tall order. But... Then you do get the reward of the secret ending, which is quite an experience. Yep. Especially compared to like the regular ending and almost everything that's happened in the game. It's like, it's like so hilariously edgy and like almost cyberpunk. It's wild. It is, I guess technically it is, honestly, it is a tease of where this will be going with Kingdom Hearts 2. And, and the other games that will follow. But it isn't really because nothing about this is even remotely in keeping with the tone of anything in Kingdom Hearts. Right. Like some of the imagery is there, but like this tone of like, it's a really slick, cool, dark, edgy action sequence. It's like it's like Devil May Cry. <laughs> yes. Like it's it's ridiculous. Like there are heartless there and they're big and beefy looking <laughs> like they're like beefy versions of the little like twitchy like ant heartless yeah but they're cool and big like the punisher or something yeah they're like venom yeah <laughs> they're like venom heartless and yeah there's like a dude in like a black coat with a hood and who could it be he's got two keyblades he's got two keyblades there's a burning heart symbol on the ground around him He's in a crazy cyberpunk looking city where it rains all the time. <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. Like, it's so over the top, like pure uncut Tetsuya Nomura fever dream. <laughs> and there's actually two of these. There's the, the original one, which was on the version of the game that we originally got in the U.S. in 2002. And then there's the deep dive version, which is the version that was on Final Mix. That one is uh, is longer. It has dialogue. 
it does actually have a shot of Mickey looking really badass <laughs> wearing a black hood and trench coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so much. It is so much. It is really cool, though. It is really cool. Like, I mean, it. let's be real. This thing got everyone so hyped for Kingdom Hearts 2. Absolutely. You know, aside from literally including a lot of these images and uh, versions of some of these images and lines of dialogue. Kingdom Hearts 2 is not really very much like these secret endings at all. No, (laughs) but it's a very strange, very striking thing to end this game with, particularly. I mean, it makes you feel like you got something cool for absolutely extra work. I feel like getting it back in the day, like it did feel worth it somehow. It's like a 45 second clip. I mean, keep in mind, YouTube did not exist. So like literally there was no way to see this at the time. Yeah, you had to get it for real on your own. Yeah, you sure did. Uh, There's no cheats here. So yeah, that's Kingdom Hearts. That's that's it. So what do you think? Obviously, we played the re-release, so we're not literally going back and playing the original game, but I I think it held up pretty well. I think it did, too, for the most part. I mean, there's definitely this game has aged like that's unavoidable. But I do think that major emotional beats, things like the feel of the combat, a lot of it really holds up. It still looks great in a lot of places, and it does still have, you know, that special feeling that I think I got from playing this originally. There's something very particular about the tone of this game and the kind of the overwhelming sincerity of it that I really love. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would have been, I think this game could have been perilously close to Mm self-parody if it had been done in a different way. And it's, you know, I never get that vibe from it, really. No. It, that it's self-conscious or, like, there's nothing, you know, like, Joss whedon about no, this. No, no, yeah, there's nothing quippy about this. This is 100% sincere about what it is. Yeah. And that sometimes is absolutely ridiculous. Sometimes it's bizarre. Sometimes it's not clear if the game is even, like, 100% aware of what it's, what effect it is having by doing all these things. But it is really committed to just going for it. And I love that about it. So at this point, what do you think Kingdom Hearts is about? I think that this first game, it really, I think, kept its emotional core of the friendship between the three, between different groups of three characters, Mm -hmm. actually, which is something that's really interesting about that will actually like continue to be in Kingdom Hearts is having three characters and their their relationship all with each other. And I I think that's really compelling. Obviously, it could have been better realized, especially with the character of Kairi. Mm -hmm. But I think this relationship between Riku, Kairi and Sora is really compelling. And I think that's like, to me, that's really like the emotional through line of this game is this fractured relationship and all of like the cosmic stuff, like the plot, it doesn't, it it feels like it's like a hyperbolic allegory for what's going on with the the characters. And I, I really like that this first game keeps a pretty tight focus on character relationships and doesn't it doesn't get super bogged down in the cosmology. 
Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. Everything at this point is actually like fairly straightforward. And yeah, I think that it does really kind of go back to these like very strong, like emotional touchstones. Those carry through, you know, the whole game in a way that feels really coherent. And I, I love that about it. And yeah, I'd also say that I I personally, I, I kind of see this game as its story as kind of a, a thing about kind of the value of people communicating with each other mm-hmm. and about how sort of like people become stronger the more they know each other, you know, like the, the better they understand each other. It makes people better and more more capable of like being in the world, you know? Yeah. Like that's that's a big thing that I get from this as well. And it's kind of interesting that this game uses this setup that could have felt like just like you know, we talked you talked earlier about how this game could have felt like real like self-parody if it had sort of gone in the wrong way. And another way this could have felt is uh desperately commercial. Oh, for sure. Kind of like you know, oh yeah, look at the beautiful look at the wonderful treasures that that are in the disney vault they're all out there and you know isn't this a fun way to kind of remind you of of how great all these these movies are please buy them but it doesn't feel like that like it feels you know even in the moments where the game is not really doing a great job of depicting the stories of the the movies that it's adapting here it's all kind of grounded in sora's sort of like wonder at being in all these different places and his honest desire to kind of help the people in them. And it's like, of course, Sora sort of inevitably gets inserted into the stories of these things, because like Sora is going to help them. Sora is there regardless of what he is trying to do overall. It is never even a question of whether or not Sora is, is going to try to fix whatever the situation is in these places. Yeah. And I, and the the game, especially in like the later moments sort of keeps going back to this idea that all the places that he's been and all the people he's met have kind of made him the kind of person that is worthy of having the keyblade. I think that's a really is, is a really, a really strong message that I take out of this game. I agree. I think that this, Kingdom Hearts uses the foundation of these other works as, like, in the way that, like, like a really good fan fiction can. Mm-hmm. That to, like, give you these familiar touch points to build upon. And yeah, it doesn't have to create a bunch of side characters to tell mm-hmm. the story. And through using characters that we already know about them they're already developed we're not expecting them to take over the story that um frees up a lot of our attention and investment in this story onto the original characters and the main characters i think that's something that it it really does pull off well you're right it doesn't feel commercial or like space jam or something i don't know or yeah just like look at this look at that or, or like a like a ready player one sort of thing where the whole point of it is like, look at all these references to things. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not that. Somehow it's it's got all these other properties in there. It somehow makes the story feel actually quite efficient. Mm-hmm. A- and I think that's really cool. Definitely. And this is a game that it launched a, a, a series and a fandom that has continued for almost 20 years now. 
going back to it, I am really glad it exists. I'm really glad that they took this weird chance on this deeply strange idea and just just kind of I said it before, but they just kind of went for it. There's there's really something to be said for just plunging into something without being kind of nervous about how it's going to come off or what the end result is going to be like. And there's there's just like such a wild mix of elements here that all come together to make something that for whatever ways that there's definitely rough edges here, I think is still like exceptionally compelling. So uh, that's Kingdom Hearts. Do you have any other final thoughts on the game or the series at this point or anything else before we, we kind of uh, wrap this one up for now? Uh, no, I'm I'm kind of, I'm happy to have finished the first Kingdom Hearts and be like at this stage where like things are still simple, both simple and new, simple and clean, uh, so, so to speak. Simple and clean. Yeah, really, you know, it's right there. And so it, it'll it definitely go some places, but it's nice to just, you know, touch down at the end of that this very first game and and have completed it. It it. It's a melancholy but good feeling to have completed a, a story game like this. Uh, and it'll be fun to take on the next game. Absolutely. That next game is uh, what we will be, I, I suppose, venturing into in the next episode of this show. Don't worry, we're not by any means even close to done. This is just the beginning. So next time, we're going to be looking at Kingdom Hearts Re-Chain of Memories. Yeah, this will be interesting. I haven't played uh, Chain of Memories before. Yeah, I mean, I've played the original Chain of Memories, the Game Boy Advance game, but I haven't played what we'll be playing, which is the 3D remake of of that game that is included with the Kingdom Hearts 1.5 plus 2.5 collection. So I'm curious to see how it holds up. I'm curious to see what's changed in that transition. I, I might also check in with the original Game Boy Advance game as well. Oh, great. Yeah. See how that holds up a little bit. Just just as like a little point of comparison. But yeah, so we will start that one off next time. I'm not really sure of like structurally how we're going to how we're going to do that one. My guess is that we will probably take that one in bigger chunks than we did this game. But uh, but we'll see. We'll we'll kind of feel that out a little bit as we get into it. Yeah. So this is the conclusion of season one of Kingdom Hearts Coast to Coast. If you've been listening through our journey so far, thank you so much. We've really enjoyed taking taking a tour through Kingdom Hearts 1. And we hope you'll join us with Kingdom Hearts Re-Chain of Memories. And remember, wherever we go, our hearts will always be connected. So Aww. see you next time, folks. Thank you for listening to Season 1 of Kingdom Hearts Coast to Coast. Our intro and outro feature the song Trinity by T. Spiro on ocremix.org. To contact the show, send us an email at kingdomheartsc2c at gmail.com. That's the numeral 2. Or follow us on Twitter at khcoast2coast. Again, with the numeral 2. Remember to subscribe and join us again next time as we continue our adventure with Kingdom Hearts Re-Chain of Memories.
この少年は新しい世界を求めてあまたの世界を渡る力を求めて心を闇に染めたのだよ陸